Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. It's contest time again. Great Lakes Guitar Pickups is giving away another set of pickups, and this time it's a Strat set for one of you lucky listeners. To enter, record a video telling us about why you deserve the pickups and send it to questions at practicalguitars.com. We'll review the video and confirm your entry in the drawing. Don't stress, use your cell phone or 90s era webcam if that's all you've got. Get your submissions in by April 20th, 2019, because we'll hold the drawing live in our Facebook group on April 21st. And remember, if you've already won, don't bother entering again as you are no longer eligible to win. Are you a regular listener? Why not? Subscribe using your chosen podcast app. Review us on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or Google Play. Find our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash practical guitarist or locate us on Twitter as at practguitarist. Support the show. Merchandise is available in our Threadless store at practicalguitarspodcast.threadless.com or you can donate to us via Patreon, which is available at patreon.com slash practicalguitarist. If you'd like to reach out to us directly, you can do so via email at questions at practicalguitarist.com. Well, that took a really long time to start recording, Jim. <laughs> Dude. I hit the button and it was like, I was like looking, I was like, wait a minute. Like, when is it going to start? Usually it's like, hi, Jim. And yeah. I was like, waiting for my cue, and it, and it didn't happen. Yeah. Hi, everybody. I'm Jim. <laughs> We're at the mercy of our software at this point. Um, maybe this episode will go well. Hopefully I won't have to bleep much out. That would be, yeah. that would be nice, this episode. Yeah, let's not bleep. Yeah, so, I don't have to. I'm, I have a list, if you are interested. Yeah, uh, let's get started. Actually, I, I, I don't know if I want to talk about what I was looking at this morning. So go well, ahead. I got one thing. Well, we can do that. I, I have, want to do a shout out before we start the list. And actually, it's on my list. And Robert Jackson today. Thank you, Robert, for shouting. I, I, I spoke with him this morning, too. Matter of fact, he's talking about you guys going to see Iron Maiden together. Yeah. Yep. I got, cool. I got to find out when, uh, when if, if my buddy got tickets for that and, and slap yeah. him around if he didn't. Yeah. So, so that sounds cool. Got that going. I, uh, definitely something that w- would be fun. I'm looking at possibly going to see Joe Bonamassa. Now, I can't tell you, honestly, uh, fan or not fan, I don't know, but I do know that I liked what I've heard. Um, I, so I have some opinions on Joe. I mean, it's not that I don't like him. I think he had much better tone when he was using the Buddhist. Yeah, now he's using all those fenders. Yeah, and I think I actually liked it when he had the Super Jubilee, Silver Jubilees, and the and the Dumbles, the Dumble clones. Like those sounded yeah. really cool. And then he and then he made the switch to using uh, these old Fender like, you know, yeah, basement amps and stuff and like Fender basements and Fender, yeah, deluxes and reverb. The the tw- the with the the twin high powers or whatever is all what those, he's now. Yeah, all those tweed. Which is fine. I mean, if he's got the money, like, I don't care. I just don't think they sound like I'm not a big tweed guy. 
I don't, I've, I played some Fender champs, like some fifties Fender champs and stuff. And like, they don't do anything for me. The yeah. speaker's too small. I mean, it's yeah. So I, I had a chance to buy one recently. I didn't, but well, anyway, it, it, it's not for everybody. I mean, not every amp is for everybody. And I don't mind the basement. Like the, the, especially the ones when they were doing the head and they were like the blackface basements. But I, but like the tweed ones, I don't, I, I mean, why, I don't want a four by 10 cab, like the one by 12 deluxe. It's okay, yeah. but it's kind of a one trick pony. Exactly. So, yeah. Well, you can see the rat here. It's plugged in. I've been, you're still using I really it. liking it. So what happened was um, once it had a day settle in, um, which I, I didn't really have the time to get to it before 24 hours was up anyway um yeah i tried it um in standard tuning the intonation's fine um it's it's spot on and uh plays real well i'm i'm really starting to dig sounds i'm getting out of it and uh yeah i've been i've been looking at something you know what's dangerous about it though i told you this might happen but so the 12 inch radius yeah. I'm really digging the 12 inch radius. I told you you'd like it more. And gotta give it some time. The CE has a 10 inch radius. Yep. So yep. very different feeling guitars. But your your strat feels more like a more like a Gibson. Yep. yep. It's got that 12 inch radius. Although it doesn't yep. have the big baseball bat of a neck. No, but it's it's thicker than the CE and thinner than a a 50s style Les Paul. I would put it in the. Oh, it's way thinner than a 50s style Les Paul. Yeah, I would By put it in lot. the 60s. Yeah, the 60s style. Um, yeah. Well, I don't think. Or they call it. Or I don't think the slim taper, whatever necks that Gibson ever did were anywhere thinner than than a, a Fender. And and somebody's probably got the measurements to prove me wrong, but um, I just they don't yeah, this, feel that way because of the shape. You don't have the D. Yeah, this is a C. Right. I call it the modern C. It I, really feels good, and it's dangerous because I'm telling you, I don't. Uh, whatever. Hopefully, I don't go and get another one. <laughs> well, if you get another one, then you just switch away from PRS for a while. Somebody yeah, yeah. Um, so that's why I was like, so now you, now that you play with the twelve, you can see why I'm like, I don't like the John Mayer because it's a seven point two five. Seven point two five, and it's got the baseball bat neck, yep. got that fifties strat neck, and I know yeah. you wouldn't like that. Well, no, actually, the neck on it, I thought I felt was very comfortable because it's not a D shape. It's more the shape than it is the the side. And so the Gibsons, when I say they're like a tree trunk, it's because they're big and round. They don't they don't they're not convex or anything. Right. Um, and the D. I like the uh, I like V shaped necks too. Yeah. But, yeah. V shaped necks are nice. Yeah, but I just they don't make a lot of them. My um my Jimmy Vaughn is supposed to be a soft V, and yeah. and it definitely is, but it's super soft. And I played that PRS, um, the Vernon Reed model, and that's like a really deep V. It's yeah. it's quite interesting. It's unlike any neck I've ever touched. So, um, so yeah. what did you see today? Um, seven strings. Ooh, see, kind of we're looking both, up at the sky. Both. You can't see this right now. But I'm kind of looking up at the sky, like seven strings. Yeah, you know. <laughs> and I'm thinking Fender Deluxe Roadhouse. No. <laughs> no not me <laughs> that's no that's me <laughs> yeah I, I, yeah so i'm thinking i don't even know why you would do a roadhouse but 
Um, well, the the current road houses are different from the old road house. So the no, no, no. I was saying like if you're gonna do it, just get the performers or like the the really high end, but the the two grand one that would replace the CE. That's true. The elite. Yeah, yeah I would get the elite version of this. One. Right, and and it, or and or explore your other strat options that you can get with a twelve inch radius. That's just there's it, a lot because right? there's a lot yeah. of them out there. Yeah, the whole deluxe series I know is twelve inch. I'm not sure about the rest. Yeah, I mean, there are Sirs, Tom Andersons. There's a lot of guitars just like that with a 12-inch radius, the humbucker single-single. And actually, I think the pickups will be better than um, what you've got there. But because you were talking about them not being very very well balanced. Yeah, so I put it up to volume. I got the amp up to bigger volume because I was just throwing it in and, you know, doing my thing. So I got it up to more volume. And once you get a little more volume on the amp, you get a little more of that. Um, where well, yeah, because you got compression going on, but right. so you're talking about is it is it, so it's just volume, like they're not balanced in that way. Because I yeah. found that a lot of hum single single guitars, the the change in like tonal characteristics of the pickups are a huge problem because you go to that single coil and it all of a sudden the bass just explodes, you know, and yep, it's no, nope. it's not tight at all or anything like that. Yep, no, nope, so. not not that. It it just was a lot louder. Okay. And for me, that's the balance of, of trying to get, and, and that's the other thing. So the first thing I was expecting was that booming face, especially from the neck pickup. And I didn't get that. I'll bet you Nick could make you a really good set of balanced pickups for that guitar. Yeah. I, yeah, I'd probably get something more inexpensive. I hit a hit. We need another set of pickups for, uh, now we're coming up on April. We're going to do a Telecaster pickup. Yeah. Um, oh, is he doing tele pickups this time? Right. I think that's uh, what we're doing next. I think that's what you talk about. Yeah. Uh, so at the top of the show, if you didn't hear it, we uh, announced the rules for this contest. Um, and Jim and I actually don't know what those are right now, so I'm not going to mention them too deeply. But we, we know that the contest is going to be slightly different this month. Um, and I will be getting the the extreme details to talk about it. Um, at the end of this episode, and it will be on the bumper that you already heard at the beginning of this episode, if that's enough time screwiness for you. So if you have a Stratocaster, yeah, single, single type guitar. Even if you don't, you can get the pickups and go buy one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's an excuse, right? It's an excuse. Exactly. Um, I'm, I'm providing you with a reason to own another guitar, which in my mind makes me like a saint. Um, <laughs> Uh, no, so I actually was looking at, uh, I was trolling around the interwebs this morning looking for um, another seven string. Yeah. I, I, I know I'm going to be keeping this guitar long term and I need something for backup if I start to use the seven string as a performance tool, uh, especially if I'm writing songs that are, you know, are going to be in that low B area. <laughs> so I was looking and um, I came across uh, a a music man, Sterling. That, that I wouldn't mind having. Um, so I thought when John Petrucci came out with the Majesty guitars, that they were replacing the regular JPM line, um, which I actually did like the JPM line. I it, Originally, I think that the neck radius on it was like way out of control though. And I think right. they've moved it back in, or at least the Sterling models are different. Because the Sterling models are supposed to be like a 15 uh, inch yep. radius or a 16 inch radius. Um, and they so that's kind of in line with where my Kiesel's at because it's got it's got a fourteen. Once you get start getting flat like that, it's a lot harder to tell 
I mean, you really have to go up a significant amount, like 14 to 20, you would notice 14 right. to 15, not as much right? Um, because it's already basically dead flat at that point. Yeah. So um, a couple of things I got to keep in mind. I want to get something with a similar neck width, which is difficult because the Kiesel actually has a, has a pretty narrow nut width for, um, for, you know, your typical seven string guitar. Um, and it's, it's been a little while since I had one in my hands, but my memory serves me that uh that jp jpms were pretty thin not yeah they're in and they're very close i was just gonna say they're like 9.4 i think my keys is a 9.1 mm-hmm. or 9.2 like they're like within like a, a tenth of an inch or something it's really it's really really small difference um and so i'm really looking at the jp2m pretty hard the one i'm looking at is the jp70 and the the um arctic or Oh, I forget what it's called. Hang on. Cause, cause I want our listeners to be able to look this up um, and see the color I'm looking at because the color I think is a big part of why I'm into this. It's the mystic dream, um, uh, which is like a prismatic, uh, almost like a holographic color, uh, which is like purple and green and blue and it fades together and it's metallic. Um, I hate, and we've talked about this on the show before, but I hate guitars that bear someone's name. Okay, because it's just like, why, why do we, why are we doing this? You know, like why I'm playing guitar to be myself, not to be somebody else. And so um, it just kills me. But I think there are a couple of guitars, especially signature guitars that have kind of transcended the the person they were designed for, like the John Petrucci model, obviously all different variations of it are pretty much like beyond him. Like a lot of metal guys use those guitars. Um, And I think, it makes so I played the seven string before and I actually liked it. Um, and I played, I've played the new one too, the Majesty seven string, and I liked it too. Yep. Um, but I just, I think the mat, I know Robert Jackson's probably listening. I think the Majesty's ugly. I, I just don't like the way the body's shaped. It's too much like, so you know, bases are supposed to be ergonomic. They design them so that the upper horn balances properly and everything because the neck is longer and all that. Like th- this guitar, the, 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 um, uh, the majesty looks kind of like they did the same thing. The upper horn is just way too long and the lower horn is way too short and the guitar looks off balance. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure it's function over form. It's not nearly as crazy looking as like the toast and the stuff, but right. Which that horn, I, I, I give him all the credit in the world, but I cannot stand the look of that guitar. Yeah. I mean, there's no guitarist on earth right now that plays like toast and the in my opinion. Um, and I can totally understand him having to have a guitar that's just like that bizarre, um, because of the level of technical ferocity that he has. I mean, there, there's nobody that's as ferocious technically as him right now. Um, I know there's a lot of people out there that are big John Petrucci fans because, you know, years ago he was like the technical God. He doesn't hold a candle to what Tosin Navasi has been doing, you know, for the last 10 years. Um, so I'm looking. They, they. I'm actually looking at the Abbasi models right now. If you guys haven't looked at those, they're really cool. They, I mean, they're they're cool in a, like a art artsy sort of way. They have a really long single cut uh, body that has two cutouts for resting on your leg in different places. Yeah. Um, so you could do classical position. You could do the you know the standard position. And I love the way that they do the dots. I know they're dots, but like because they they did something different with them, they they look better. Um, they're not as generic run of the mill. The only thing yeah. I don't like about the Abbasi models is like all the ones I've seen are eight. I'm sure he's doing, cause I know he does like 
build to order too. Um, I know you can get sixes and sevens, but it's just like, that's a guitar that I can totally see somebody like Tosin getting on with it. Not everybody else would. And I feel like the majesty is firmly in that camp as well. Um, but I know there's a lot of people that love them and talk about how good they are. So, um, yeah, it's worth giving a try. I mean, I, that's, well, take a look at the color. Describe the color to our audience, Jim. That Mystic Dream uh, JP70. You can Google it real quick. Yeah, I'm looking it up right now. Matter of fact, I think it's right in front of me. Mystic Dream or Mystic Green. Why is it, man, everything else is coming up. So, that green, purple shift thing. Yep. So yeah, that looks like a. Looks you said it comes like or looks kind of almost purple in certain lights. Yeah, yeah, and and so a lot of people are saying like the pictures don't do it justice because it's a guitar that very much um, depends on the lighting conditions and stuff, and that yep. they look much better in person than they do online. And I think I've seen this guitar already. So, um, but I didn't know. So like. Sterling, right? I remember when OLP came out. Uh, yeah. You remember OLP? All right, so yes. uh, OLP had a couple of bases that were okay, but there were quality control issues in OLP, and not all of them were created equal. But I, yeah. my understanding is that Sterling is supposed to be like basically like Fender Mexico. It's like really good quality, um, not horribly expensive. Right. Um, so anyway, um, yeah, I don't know. You think it's weird, Jim? No, no. I like it. Um, I'm fine, as you know, I'm fine playing a guitar that's got somebody else's name on it. Matter of fact, there's this um, brand of guitar called Fender. has this guy's name on it, right? They all say Leo Fender. And um, I thought, well, that's kind of weird. Uh, that Every single thing Fender puts out has Leo Fender's name on it. <laughs> yeah and he was even a guitar player though and then and then ernie ball goes around putting his own name on the gear it's All not right. the ernie ball thing that does oh. it man it's it's that like three quarter of the models they produce are signature I know. our signature models yeah ernie oh, it's ball probably more than three quarter ernie ball is probably the most when it comes to signature models at least in the guitar world the only the only thing that i really really want to fall in love with when it comes to ernie ball is I love the look of a bongo bass. I just, I played them and the necks I love, but that body, man, it's, I have a certain way of putting my fingers and I just not, I've never fallen in love with the body. All right. Can we, can we, I want to go through the models here just so we can talk about it for a second. Yeah. So they make the Valentine, which is the James yep. Valentine signature. Yep. And then um, they make the Luke. And yep. I don't think I need to go any further with whose that is. No. Um, they make the Axis, which was Eddie oh, Van yeah. Halen's Van Halen model. model. Yep. Right. Um, which I maybe they'll get sued because I said that. Um, they make the John Petrucci series, which is Majesties yep. and JPMs yep. and JPs. Um, they make the Saint Vincent. Yep. We have not gotten to a regular production model yet, have we, Jim? No. <laughs> and then they make the cutlass, right? That's their right. three single coil thing. They make the stingray. Yep. And then they make the Albert Lee. Well, so the stingray 
Is that they make a Stingray guitar too? Yeah, yeah, the Stingray guitar. Um, I know they, they make a Stingray. used to make a Steve Morse model too. Yes. Yep. Oh no, you know what? I'm looking at Sterling right now. Let's let's let's. Switch I was going to say Music Man. Yeah. How many how many models are artists models that are Music Man? Oh yeah, I've all of them. Yeah. <laughs> well, of all the people you mentioned right. already. Yeah, for sure. And then. Uh, we'll just I'll just rattle off the the non artist models they do. They do the cutlass, they do the stingray, yeah. Um, they do the silhouette and the axis. Oh, they still do the Steve Morse. It's only yeah. in the in the. Uh, yeah, I see that. And they, they do something called the Armada collection. Yeah, or the, the Armada. That's an ugly looking thing. Um, but yeah, no. So I mean, like more the vast majority of the the Ernie. So maybe they do do more production models than I realize, but you never see the production models. You know what? You know what sucks and is good. I first of all, I think the cutlass is gorgeous. I, I love it's it. Okay, I'm a look at it. Um, it's just weird. You don't see them. You really don't. No, I think I've seen one in person. The flame maple big neck and all that. Yeah, I they're cool. Um. The one I really like, though, that I've played a couple times is the Steve Morse. That guitar is legit. Um, mm-hmm. And the Steve Morse is really good, and I actually like the Luke as well. Um, the James Valentine's okay. I don't say so that, like, once you get into something like the James Valentine, I think you almost just should buy the Sterling version. Yeah. Um, because I don't think, so, like, look, we all know M- Music Man puts out an extremely high-quality instrument. But with something so basic, there's not a lot of like crazy features on the uh, the James. Well, Valentine. all they did, all they did with the Valentine, and I'm talking about what they did with it. I I haven't looked at the Sterling version. Is they've got that um, that humbucker that has the like offset? Yeah, pieces. I don't know if that's a humbucker or if it's just a humbucker sized single coil. Yeah, that's. What I'm, I'm not I'm sure. I'm not sure. I haven't played one, um, and I know they did. They just did a thing on like stupid deal where you could get you could get the uh, sterling miles for like 400 bucks now the armada that kind of looks like is that something new is that something that uh yeah i mean I, that's probably not new but it's probably something that's like they've been doing for a while because it looks like a state hasn't got any traction yeah do they want twenty eight hundred dollars for that for the armada for the armada yeah oh my god no wonder i never seen well it's a carved figured maple center cap bound neck and body tone pros bridge like it's it's legit it's got some nice stuff on it but i just don't i mean i think it's ugly um if you if you look at their model collection right so here's 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 what i want to point out so the john petrucci majesty is is pretty custom if you look at the way that they do the body like i understand why the guitar is priced the way it is um i don't necessarily agree with the price i think i think if i were john i would probably be saying custom shop only for for me um and those guitars and that there won't be a production model because it's just going to be too pricey at $3,100 for the uh, majesty. Um, and it's plus 300 for the Arctic dream finish. Yeah. And um, th- so the reasoning is, of course they got the, they got the weird center block construction and all that stuff. Um, and then of course, which I don't know if that's paint or if that's actually um, that's actually like a different block of wood, but the, but the crazy thing is like the way it's beveled and contoured and, the horns and then drilling that just dr- if you look at the horn the way the horn is and the way that they screw in the um the uh uh strap pin like yeah. that's money right there because they're gonna they're gonna crack a lot of guitars doing that 
a lot of bodies. Yeah. That's, that's a, you know, you're paying for the, the bodies that you're not getting basically. That's the way yeah. I'm looking at it. But, um, I mean, you get everything on that guitar. Like you get Paizo pickup and all that stuff. So, I mean, that's not terrible value. I, I, I get why that's expensive, but when you go back and you look at something like, um, so I'm going to get out of the drum tree. Let's go look at the axis. Right. So I can go to yep. Fender right now and I can get an EVH with a Floyd Rose. Yep. For like, I think you can get them for under two thousand. I think you can get them around fifteen hundred bucks for like a, a USA one, right? So yep. if I was to buy an Axis from Ernie Ball, yep, they start at twenty five fifty. Yep, there's no reason for it. There's no reason for it yeah, other they, than it says Ernie Ball on it. Yeah, they start there. If you get one of the trans colors, you're going to pay another two hundred bucks, and that's gonna, just for the color. I'm going to try to make Robert Jackson spit out his coffee as he listens to this. Um. <laughs> I just don't see how a company that makes the shittiest strings on earth is like also the company that makes some of the like highest quality instruments for artists ever. I mean, yeah. um, so it's just, it's a little odd. I don't, I'm looking to see. Oh yeah. So the St. Vincent is still here. Okay, good. Cause I'm like, they didn't discontinue that. Did they? No. Cause that, that guitar is awesome. I played them and I honestly, that is the, the, the most unique new guitar that has the vintage styling that I've ever played. And it, I mean, it's just, it, it sounds great. The thing's killer. Um, so yeah, if you haven't checked one of those out. You should do it, but I don't know. I don't know that I'm going to buy the JP seven seventy. like, it depends on what kind of deal I can get on it. It's going to be expensive. If I get the finish I want, I thought about like, I could go cheap and I could get the, um, the, the black, the stealth black, but I'm, I can get 10% off regardless if I just trade that stupid Ibanez that I yep. got in, which is kind of what I'm thinking. But I yep. got to get him to take it, and I'd have to get at least 200 bucks for it. So, yeah. what I, well, well, no, well, I'd have to get 200 bucks for the, it. On top of the 10% percent. off. It would have to be that plus like 100 bucks off. Like, I would be, I would be cool if I, could, if I could get 100 bucks out of Guitar Center for it. But I think the better option for me is to take the $200 from that guitar. And this is going to say, this is a horse trading to the extreme right here. I'm going to take right. the $200 for that guitar that I get off of uh, selling it in the S series Facebook group where I explain all the damage and everything. Um, yep. And what I've done to like kind of get it correct. And I'll c- include the original parts as well as the, you know, like everything I have on that guitar, like I'll sort out, and put it in the listing. Um, so it'll be a parts guitar for somebody if they need it or whatever. Um, right. So I'll sell it and then I'll get, I'll get if I can get 175 bucks or 200 bucks out of it, then I'll go buy something stupid on <laughs> reverb like a DS1 and I'll trade that into Guitar Center and get my 10% off because that'll be greater than the 50 bucks I would get for the DS1. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like I they'll give me $10 or $15 for the DS1 plus 10% off. So, it might be worth it to like horse trade like that and see if I can get like the maximum discount possible um on a on one of the jpm sevens and 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 really this would be a means to an end i don't think i'd keep the guitar forever i think this is one of those guitars that like i'll have as a backup and then when the time behooves me i'll get another diesel um because i just don't i haven't really played many i've played other seven strings i just haven't played many that like really um really did it for me jumped out at you yeah yeah so um and, and and as i look at seven strings they're all super metal guitars like pointy ass Ibanez RG style. Like, why can't you do yep. like a, like a strat style with a seventh string? Like what's the problem? Not everybody's doing super metal with it. Yep. 
Um, now I do, I do play a lot of heavily distorted like stuff with it, but I mean, um, I've been using it. Like I've been relearning all the patterns, um, and actually doing it, the cage system this time, because it's just faster. Um, so that I can, I can cage system the seven string and it's really improved my ability to play, um, doing that already. Uh, and you know, I, I'm not a bad player anyway. And I feel like getting the seven string is like a natural extension of where I was, um, right. which is why I just hit on it. And I'm like, this is, this is where I, what I should have done a long time ago. Um, right. So, and actually I could see myself if I could get S 500 pickups in the seven string, I'd get one of those Delos with a, with a seven string S 500 pickups in it. Yep. But um, they're not, they don't make anything like that. So maybe I can have <laughs> fabricate me some. Yeah. Make you some. Something that gets in the ballpark, um, but I still I still want to do hum single single regardless of what I do. I think um, I still I would really much rather have a neck single coil. If I could right. just do hum single, I would be thrilled. But I have a feeling that it's going to have to be a compromise like hum single single. Yeah, I have wasted a lot of time talking about my fantasies. <laughs> it happens. Yes, yes. Let's let's talk about something uh, something else something musical perhaps all right so let's let's move along well i have i have all right want to talk about uh i here's my list relics broke in aesthetic oh yeah thank you thank you jim i'm so glad we're going to talk about this so there was i i I can i could do this topic so there was a there was a thread in the group where somebody posted a uh and I and I know who that I someone do. I know who that's <laughs> not, I'm, we're playing a joke here. Oh, someone crap. posted about a certain YouTube celebrity's guitar, and he was asking, "What keys do you think he plays in mostly?" Right. Um, and I laughed because I looked at it. and I go, "That's a relic." And, and there's you know no what? way that's his guitar. I made the assumption because I know that I know that he's played a Strat for years. Yeah, you're not going to if it's a if it's a modern Strat, it'll never look like that. Yeah, and so I thought, okay, maybe that's something that, you know. So I didn't, I didn't look too close, but I, I, I kind of know the history of that guitar a little bit because I've watched a lot of Anderson's videos, and it is, I, I believe it is a relic. Um, and I was looking at it, and I'm like, well, obviously they're making it seem like he plays a lot in G and D and you know C and like like that, those chords up at the, and then of course you know your open pentatonic and all that, so your E and and. Um, there's a little bit of wear around A and G, but um, I was laughing because because Jim's like, this thing looks aesthetically horrible. Like, why would people want to buy a guitar that's worn in like that? Or like, like no, it has the look, the worn in look, right? Right. I didn't say that. That first of all, as far as a relic job goes, there's not much relic to it. No, and actually, why, it looks it's look it's like one of the almost between a closet classic and a, like a real right, relic. Right. And what I get more of is what I see more of. It's me is when I look at it, it's like the only thing really relic. Now I'm sure the back of the neck is relic, which I can understand. I've said that a hundred times. I, you know, when it comes to fenders, this is the first fender neck that I was like, Hey, you know what? I actually like this neck because it's nice. And I can go right up and down. The radius has a big part to play in that too, believe it or not, because of where your hand position has to fall in order to do certain things. So, well, there's a smoothness to it. I had a strat for years and years. I have, I have, I still have it, but it's a gloss neck, isn't it? It's a gloss neck. That's why. And 
it, so I would get out and I have to rough wool. it up. Yeah, I have <laughs> to rough it steel up. wool. But you know what happens after you play it for a while? It does the exact opposite. Yeah, so you have to steal wool it every once in a while to get it to get it back. And I think if you use uh, triple lot, I think you can actually buff it back to a fine fine shine before you sell it. So right. And so a- anyway, that was where I was like, you know, maybe I should, uh, you know. Balance I, things out. I think so. I, I'm going to give a little bit of opinion on that first. I think Fender, the the um, urethane they use, the gloss they use on their necks is awful. I think it's the worst stuff on earth. I have not had those problems with Gibsons, and I have not seen a ton of Gibsons where somebody has sanded off the finish off the back of the neck. But I have seen a lot of Fenders that have been done that way, which yeah. I think is kind of indicative of maybe that urethane not being as great. Um, right. So. With regards to relics, right, you're talking about the, seeing the back of the neck is normal, but like the wear damage and stuff to the front of the guitar. Um, I think there's a little bit of merit in certain things. So like when I see Kiesel's, right, and and I'm saying this because I've been looking at a lot of them, um, you, they have that, that arm bevel, right, the big arm co- contour thing going on. But if you'll see, some of them will actually have like it's natural wood and then they want them to be uh like the thinnest finish they can possibly put on there and it's not like a lot of people think it's about resonance and i think that's part of it i think maybe that that's the you know the literature selling point but for somebody like me that's attractive because my arm won't stick to it and if you're doing a lot of like moving around and changing positions especially if you're doing a lot of what they call tracking while you pick where you reposition your hand for each string like you're definitely going to want to look into something that has like a, a smoother feel there. And I've actually known a guy that, that put masking tape over one of his guitars in on the contour so that he would slide more freely. And uh, I, other people I've seen when you see, uh, when you see a musician on stage with a long sleeve shirt, when it's like 114 degrees out. Yeah. That's, that's why, because they, they, if, if they didn't, your arm sweats and then what happens is it sticks to that urethane and it can be downright painful um, when you actually do have to move your arm. Um, And I've even seen like rash develop from where it's just, it's like an abrasion. So that kind of where I get what I don't understand is like when they, when they drill, not drill, but like sand away a hole in the pig guard or um, they like look like they threw, you know, like nails at it with a gun you know, an air gun, they shot nails into the guitar, some stupid, like craziness. Um, There is an aesthetic thing to it, right? So some of it's like, oh, I want to fool people into thinking I played this guitar for 30 years. But I think now it's getting to the point where like everybody knows that they're all relic, that the vast majority of guitars don't look that way. So like, uh, so it it becomes this aesthetic thing. Like, oh, I like my guitar to look like it's been, been through a war. And it's the whole punk rock movement and people buying shitty guitars and, and playing them, even though they were terrible. Um, yep. Because, you know, hey, this this looks good to me. Like it, it has it has a charm to it. And so right. that's a totally subjective thing. Um, and I what some people find aesthetically pleasing, uh, you know, pisses off others. Um, and, and so when I see that kind of stuff going on, I I don't I'm not going to berate them, but like in the back of my mind, I'm like, man, if I spent $3,000 on a guitar, like I want it to look good and be playable. 
So right. I would rather have like Kiesel does. They do the tongue oil necks and they do the, you can do the raw tone finish for the body. And that's like optimal playability right there. Cause there's nothing to get stuck on. There's, there's nothing sticky on the guitar at all in, in any conditions. Right. Um, now the downside of that is those guitars are less protected. And I know people say like, Oh, well, yeah, but you know, it's even a guitar that's finished is so susceptible to water damage and stuff like that. But listen, um, they're not susceptible to like sweat damage. You, if you get a raw tone finished guitar and you play it for 10 years in sweaty bar gigs and outside, like in the summer, that guitar is going to swell and stuff like the, the, the actual body where your where your moisture is getting into the body is going to look awful. Um, so you just got to be, you know, you got to take the good with the bad and understand that that's what's going to happen. I think a lot of people would, I think you're going to find out a lot of those raw tone guitars are probably going to get refinished in the next decade that people are just going to be like, this looks terrible. I love the guitar, but I can't, I can't live with it like this. Yep. Because even the, so like when you do, when you do nitrocellulose lacquer and then you hit it with keys on a chain for 20 minutes to get it all, you know, broken up and looking nasty. um, It still remains smooth. And it remains relatively protected because the dents are through the wood. Um, and oftentimes when they do remove the finish, like it's still got, you know, grain filler and stuff in it. So it's not horrible. Um, I'm sure there's still grain filler in the raw tone thing, but you're not doing it to the whole guitar. So a lot less, you know, places for moisture to get in and things like that. Um, now this is funny because here we are talking about relics and neither you nor I have ever owned one. Um, and so, right, right. We not, do, because, uh, not because I'm, I'm disinterested. It, here's the reason I haven't bought the, or I wouldn't buy a relic. But just like you, if I'm going to pay several thousand dollars, I want it to be a nice guitar and I want to do the wearing in. There are different people that have different, different categories of that. Now, I do think that if I'm going to pay that kind of money, I shouldn't have to have it worn in to have it feel comfortable. It should feel comfortable. Why? Well, and... I find it funny that a lot of these relics are just as expensive as like buying a vintage one. Right. Right. I mean, some of these things are five, $6,000. What about, and I, you know why? Cause they have to do all of the work to get the finish on. Then they have to do work to get the finish off and make it look um, like it actually wore off. Not like it just dragged it through a, you know, like most people do. Shit. Yeah. Well, Jim, Jim and I had a conversation with somebody who's a listener to the show and uh, he's, he's pretty close to the show. He, I'm not going to talk about who it is because um, some of the stuff that they have is like investment quality and right. it's, it's for the best that nobody like, you know, steals stuff from them or whatnot. Um, bought so this person bought a LP junior. Was it LP junior? I think yep. it was LP junior. Yep. And that thing looks like it's been through a war. Yeah, but, but it's man, that's authentic. <laughs> like that, 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 is, that thing is real. <laughs> that is a 60 year, 60 plus almost yeah, dude. years old guitar. Yeah. I, I saw that and I was like, how much? <laughs> it yeah. was like, sign me up. <laughs> I, I'd have been there. I wouldn't have cared. Neck, neck fix, whatever. Yeah. I, like what? Well, it I, doesn't matter. And it, well, and it was a one owner guitar, Jim. Now here's what's here's why I wouldn't have bought it. It's not because it was a fifties. It's not because I thought, I thought the look was incredible. I showed you that guitar that the guy that was um, at guitar or uh, at the open mic was playing. Oh He's yeah. 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 There isn't a, there is a shiny yeah. spot on that guitar. If you saw it in person, that's cool. Yeah, I like that. The, that guitar has been used 
every freaking day for the last 40 plus years, right? It's entire life. And uh, as a matter of fact, it's, it's 40 years old this year. Um, and he's owned it. He's the only owner. I was like, Ed, if you ever want to sell that guitar, me. Please. You know the funny thing is, look, multi-owner guitars never look that way. No. No. And, the, and here's the thing, though. That this is it. So I once asked, I've asked a lot of people about the, the whole, um, you know, the thing. And some of them, it's the aesthetic. They want it to look that way. I think that's hipster. That's why I said I think that's it. very much the reason why, why people do it. Um, well, now, when it comes to the, to the captain's guitar, this is the problem I have. I can understand the neckwear. I can understand the body wear. You want that body, like right, you said. In the right, to, in the right places. Yep, in all the right places. Get that, get that feel there. Why, the, why would you have gunk on the fretboard or look of gunk on the fretboard? Well, so that's actually where the finish wears through. Well, and, I, yeah. and if you're going to have that, it always wears through there. And that's why I said in your original post, I said, you know, there's a lot of companies that do this without making guitars look like shit. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, exactly. John, so Ibanez, right? Yeah. Ibanez does this. The prestige models, the necks have been worked over to death. Um, and a lot of them you'll find are also available in flat finishes. I don't know if they are anymore. They, they for a while, we're doing a flat finish thing. Get them. Um, and, so that even that's a preference thing. Like I know people who bought guitars and then flattened the finish themselves because they're like, I just want it to be smooth. Um, and you can do that with steel wool or there's a lot of different options for doing that. Uh, eventually even a satin finished guitar is going to polish up a little bit, but it's going to be in no way as bad as a, as a gloss guitar. Um, and I, so I bought my, my Kiesel satin and I'm kind of hoping that it, that it polishes up because then it'll look older. Um, even though it's a totally modern guitar. Um, and I think, I, I think there's some merit to like each guitar should be treated as an individual. And I see like the, was it the road worn series that Fender did where yeah. all of the wear was exactly the same. That was insane. Yeah. And that didn't where make any sense. It's just aesthetic. No two guitars were, will ever wear the same. So why is it that? Cause they would have had to do all that wear by hand if they were. Right. And so if you're going to do a series, I, and that's why I get, you know, people that spend a lot of money for custom shop wear, I got it. I, I don't get. I can get a 70 Strat for $4,000. Yeah. Or I can buy a 70 Strat that's been torn that to get like by the Fender Strat. Yeah, it's actually a 2019 Strat that they've torn. To well, to be, to be fair, like if you bought a 70 Strat, right, and it looked like that, you probably need to have work done to it to keep it maintained. And there may be some issues with it, you know, like your that, neck heel might be screwed up. That's a, yeah. And some people don't want to do, deal with that. It's just like an old car. You want right. to deal with the problem. Right. So I think I, I, that's what I said. I come down very in the middle on this because I, at some point will probably own a relic guitar. It's probably going to happen at some point. Right. Um, but I'm not, like I'm not running out to do it. It would have to be like the special, perfect, like certain model. The one I really, the really, the one I really, really like is the one that um, Danish Pete has on uh, Anderton's. He's got that yeah, the, Telecaster. The Telecast. the relic. Yeah. yeah. And that thing looks really good, but it's a relic. That's right. Now, you know what they've done? Oh yeah. Fender, they cloned that thing. Fender cloned it. Yeah. Cause Fender it's what gorgeous. <laughs> 
but now you've got a clone of of all the stuff that Pete Thorne's or not Pete Thorne, Pete uh, Danish Pete's already got Pete Honore. Yeah, you know, but the clones aren't aren't exact. Like they're clearly hand done. You can tell because um, I was watching where they unveiled those. No, they've made a they've made a clone that's a that's a production model. Guitar Center has it, and Anderton's had some too. Oh, I thought so, Anderton's. Yeah, it's a it's in the eight hundred dollar range. It's it's relatively cheap. That's not. I know that what you're sucks. Hmm? That sucks. Yeah, just look up Relic Telecaster. Yeah, so what he actually has is a Fender Custom Shop 52 Telecaster Heavy Relic Purple Metallic. You got it. It's four thousand dollars roughly. It's thirty six hundred pounds. Thirty six. But for the Fender Road Worn 50s Telecaster Limited Edition is eight hundred ninety nine dollars. It's a it's a copy. Fender. Yep, Road Worn 50s Telecaster. 50s. I just yep. want to see it. To see how exact it is. It's, it's not, but it's uh, it's their best shot at, at making it look like it. And he's getting money from that, I believe. So, and they have oh, it. Yeah, I'm looking at one right now. No, that's oh. the only oh. one I saw. Anderton's is a custom shop reissue. Yeah, no, they. I um, I was watching their thing. The only reason I even knew about this, I thought that was an Anderton's exclusive, though. Their channel. No, I was watching their channel, and they was like, and it was like, oh, these and Guitar Center has some. Well, they blew them out. Ben, um, Anderton's blew them out a while back. They did one of their blowout videos. And, yeah, I mean they're doing the purple. I see. So here's like a Road War and '50s Telecaster purple. Doesn't look anything like Danish Pete's though. No, but that was the objective. Uh, no, it doesn't. It, it doesn't have any of the and same. You know why? Like oh, zero. It doesn't have any of the same wear. You know why? Well, that's my point, though. The wear they is what makes it. They couldn't afford it. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. So this isn't a reissue of his guitar because it doesn't have the same wear. No. That's the whole point of. No, why. they went for his color of, of purple. Oh yeah, I'm not, I don't care about the color. Like that's a little and and actually the color isn't even that close because his is faded. You can see the wood grain through it. Yeah, I know. Um, this doesn't even. This looks like a crayon. Yeah, it's <laughs> and it's the wrong color purple. It's not it's not as metallic. Like there there are various issues with this. Um be that as it may. So like I get what you're saying. Like, oh well, but I but I see that each wear pattern is totally individual. And I think that's part of the reason why some people gravitate towards, you know, like I'm gonna get the custom shop relic. Yeah, um, of, course, of course. I just don't understand why And I think that's well, why the Paisley one didn't do so well. I will take a part you know, it is absolutely why the Paisley one didn't do so well. I will take a, apart a Telecaster and yep. I will drag it behind my car uh, through my parking lot one time. I will go in my house. I will reassemble it. I will put it on eBay and I will make an extra $500. Yeah. Like that's what kills me yeah. is that it's not, they, these people aren't doing an insane amount of work to make these relics. It's, oh. it, it's, I mean, it's a very lucrative trade. Now, now the custom shop bad ones. relics out there. This is obviously a bad relic, right? The, the, oh yeah, that that fifties Rome that um, Road Wars, and I yeah. and you could definitely tell a guitar that was relicked by some dude by dragging it behind his car versus a relic that was done at the custom shop where they did it by hand with a razor blade, and then they would like force dirt in it or put coffee on it, you know, so it would like stain. Um, there's definitely like a different level of craftsmanship. Somebody like uh, Nash. You know, Nash guitars, like yep. they know what they're doing when they relic a guitar. I can pick up a Nash strat when I'm at when I'm at um CME 
And I love, I love the Nash strats. I played several of them that I almost walked out with. Um, and I can pick up a sixties strat at CME and the wear, you, you wouldn't be able to tell them apart if the, if the uh, logo was covered up on the headstock. I mean, they're, they're that close and they sound, and they sound great. Both, both sound, you know, astonishingly good. Um, but part of that has to do with the fact that like, if you're buy if you're going to buy an off the shelf Telecaster now, it has to have Rojas compliant parts. That's right. It has to have, you know, and, and of course things are changed over the years, the, the way that they make parts and stuff. And even when you get into custom shop models, like no, they, they try to be really accurate with those, but they're not 100% accurate. And so if you were like, go get a Nash with Lawlers in it, you yeah. know, you might get something that isn't available internationally. And so therefore is not Rojas compliant. Yep. So those pickups are going to have like a more accurate wire. And I think that's one of the reasons why I liked what Nick Bonners did with this set is that, I mean, he's, he's a stickler for making sure that things are what he wants them to be. So, yep. um, yeah, when you have that kind of uncompromising, like thing about anything you do, whether it's playing music, buying equipment or whatever you get, uh, you get a, a premium result. Now, whether it's more than necessary, that's another thing. And I think that's exactly. what we're getting at here is that these relics are more than necessary. Yep. So, yep. uh, by all means, if you want relics, buy them. If you don't just take them out back with a chain and hit them. Yeah. Up. I just, yeah, I just don't, I just don't understand why you would want the fretboard wear to look like that unless it was, you know, cause you don't feel the fretboard. Well, so I think part of it's, so I think part of it's an age thing, Jim, and I'm not saying like you're too old to understand. I'm saying that because you're older and you live through 50 years of people playing this kind of music, yep. um, you've, so it's easier for you to access these memories of guitars that look like this and like fall apart and, and that get worn out that way. But for somebody who's in their thirties, I've been playing 20 years. I don't have anything that looks even close to that. And yeah. so for me, like, I know I'm never going to attain that through just playing guitar. Like I play a lot of freaking guitar and my guitar is never going to look like that. Right. And that is the true downside of the, um, the guitars that if you look at the, um, how do I say this? The, the guitars that we're looking at right now um, that are new will never wear like that. No, no. Well, no. I mean, you're, so if you buy a relic or you buy a custom shop and it's been nitro finished, yeah, it will eventually relic like that. But even the nitro they're spraying today is that's not the same as the nitro in the 50s and 60s. That's right. It's not the same because it's not the same nitro will not will not wear the same way. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. It just depends on the softness of it and the elasticity. And I, I, I think you have a much better chance of getting a guitar that looks similar. I don't think sameness is as important as looking similar. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's not, this is not a thing or yeah. So, but, but people are, let me, let me put it to you this way. People are also spending $400 on sneakers because they look like they came from the seven. Yeah, dude, I just went to the mall yesterday and there were people lined up to buy the new Jordans. And I'm like, yeah. Michael Jordan has not played basketball Since in 20 something years, you know, yeah. what in the hell? You know, yeah. and, and you know they're going to be four hundred dollars set of shoes or something. Yeah. You're like, you know why they're lining up? For this? Because <laughs> those same people are going to then put them on eBay and yeah. triple the price. They're the oh same yeah, people that and there are the people that are insane enough to pay uh, twelve hundred dollars for a pair of shoes. Absolutely. That's, no, that's I what, say that I bought I bought a two hundred dollar pair of shoes yesterday, so I can't complain too much. But 
Um, I remember my a pair of shoes will last me two years. So I remember the first time I I bought a pair of Nike Airs when they first came out. Yeah, just to date myself. And uh, they were, I mean, I was running a lot back then, and um, the Nike Airs uh, were just over a hundred dollars. It was the first time I ever paid more than sixty dollars for a pair of shoes. Yeah, yeah. Now you can't buy a pair of shoes for under sixty dollars unless I know. Unless you're basically buying like sandals duct taped together at Walmart. And I have to, yeah, I literally have to spend at least $60 on my new balances and that's regular old new balances. Yeah. Just plain old, like, and I, you know, and new balance is great. Cause you can get the same shoe for like three years in a row. That's right. Before they change the style. They change the style on you. They're not yeah. changing every four months so that they can get them up on eBay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we were laughing cause I, so I've been shopping at the walking company cause as you know, I'm fat and uh, I need shoes that can handle to, that can support me. Um, right. I need some, I need support everybody. Um, anyway, so I went in there to buy, I went in there to buy shoes and I, yeah, I I certainly can't fucking be an athlete, uh, with that, but I went in there and, uh, I, I bought some shoes. Right. And, uh, so shoes are like $175 and I'm sitting there going, man, I could have bought like two pedals for that. And like, (laughs) that's the way my mind works. That is what goes through my head when I go, I'm like, well, how many sets of strings is that? I could buy a guitar with this. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Why am I gotta I? buy a I got a dishwasher soon. And I'm like, oh, for what I'm gonna pay for a dishwasher, I could have like a new TV or something. Exactly. <laughs> well, you can go to Guitar Center right now and get a twenty five hundred dollar better um Jimmy Page mirror telecaster. No, I can't. <laughs> but I, I'm just saying. I would need to actually have the money in order to make yeah. that happen. So. I would need uh, the magic twenty five hundred dollars to do. I mean, it. well, I could probably if I if I, I and I thought about this. Like this is a, this is as sick as my mind gets, and then we can move on to the next topic. I, I've totaled up the value of everything I own, guitar related, and I was like, if I trade this all in, I'd have about I'd have about like ten thousand dollars to work with right, something right. like that and you're like what can i do with ten thousand dollars <laughs> what can i do hmm. um I, I could buy new guitars well, okay that's not, no that's what like i i would buy like so you so what you do is you i have eight guitars i think right now are seven guitars and i would i would sell off all of them and then i would have to like i would have to buy two right right and then i would have to buy so i'd sell off all my amps and then i had to buy i probably wouldn't sell them in mark five just because i would probably end up rebuying it um but I would, you know, like, and and you kind of rationalize. You're like, wait a minute. So I go from eight to two. Like, what am I thinking? <laughs> okay, so hey, that's a nice segue. So one of my things, I I recently in my YouTube feed, I got a lot of for some reason a lot of um uh videos that have said, do you just need? Can you just play one guitar? And we have a lot of famous people. We've talked about this before, but yeah, sure, sure. Um, you know, David Gilmore. David Gilmore pretty much just plays strats all night. Pretty much plays the same strat all night. Other when, other than when he switches to to pedal steel or um, uh, his Gretch. acoustic. Um, he's just yeah. too. Well, I'm talking about live, but yeah, yeah he does. Um, I've seen video of him using it. Well, he he tends to use a strat most of the night. Yeah, mo- mo- more often than not, it's you'll see a Stratocaster. Yes. Right. And um, for Brian May, it's the Red Special. And for, um, you know, you can, you can go down the list. Um, most guitar players um, are playing one or two guitars all night long. Yeah. For the most part. 
Not everybody's Alex Lifeson, whereas he has a different guitar for every freaking song. A lot of guys do, though. I think it would shock you. Oh, I know. I know. So Even Billy question, Gibbons. He uses one tuning. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the guy tunes. Well, he does have one open. I bet one alternate tuning. Yeah. So yeah, he's, he's got, you know, think he'd get through a set and with he, two guitars. Plays, you'd think so, but he plays like 18 guitars. Yeah. I, I, was, I was watching his tech. The poor guy. He, he carries like, 24, but he only uses nine of them. <laughs> you know, it's like. <laughs> If you ever get a chance to watch the rig rundowns or whatever of, of Billy Gibbons and see his guitar tech, he is one manic son of a bitch. We've, ta- he's a- We've talked about it on this show before, like watch it and then think about what he's saying with regards to what Billy Gibbons is actually probably using. And right. you'll realize that Billy doesn't tell anybody shit about what he's doing. That's right. That's <laughs> right. He, he, he dodges questions. Well, so the, the question came up, can you use just one guitar? And this, um, this one guy who was a jazz guitar player was talking about, um, the fact that he knew a guy that he'd been around upstate New York. And then he, um, he says, uh, if this guy, I didn't even know he played guitar and I knew him for years. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, I see him playing locally and I'm like, you play guitar. He goes, yeah. And I go, he goes, you know, what guitars do you have? He goes, this one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have this one. He had one strat. And so if you, if, now we got to have to desert island guitar. So um, your desert island guitar, and, and try to do this objectively as well as subjectively. If, if somebody said to you, you, only have, you can only keep one guitar, what are you going to keep? S500. S500. Yeah. Even, though, even though it's not a seven string, like I could play probably 90% of what I played for the majority of my, my life on one of those um and be totally happy Uh, i think the amp would be the bigger desert island question for that so yeah yeah and it's and it actually probably isn't an amp i already own oh really (laughs) no it's probably a rivera because it's two channels and they're they're diametrically opposed they're totally different and that that thing covers so much ground that it's kind of stupid that i don't have one right now (laughs) <laughs> well you do have the 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 uh, mark the mark covers a lot of ground too i just don't think it covers as much right, right. Um, because it really i mean i can get jcm 800 tones out of it i can get sort of plexi tones out of it but i can't get a lot of the in between that and fender clean right like i i whereas the rivera you can get the the clean channel going so so much that it'll actually distort and it'll, I mean, like distort, distort, like it's a totally gained out fender basement or something. Right. Well, so, um, yeah, I think that, you know, uh, for the longest time, obviously, um, my, my, uh, CE has been my desert Island guitar. I don't know, man. Like, as I'm thinking about this more and more, I could probably do the Mark five. Yeah. Yeah. And I, <laughs> well, right now I got the amp. The amp one is great. I, yeah, I really, that's I a great have- desert Island amp. I don't have amp amp envy. I really don't, which is weird. Um, uh, you know, I, I saw a, uh, a Lone Star special on sale in my area. I was like, ah, but, um, yeah, it's just, it's well, I'm awesome. glad you really like that thing. Cause, um, I, uh, I didn't want to have to buy one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's great. It really is great. I, I really do like it a lot. More and more, more and more, more and more, my gear fest trip looks like it's going to be 
buying a uh, Seymour Duncan power stage and yeah. a cabinet and just running yeah. my Helix through a cabinet. And then my Mark V will be my second amp. And I am, I'm probably going to do something. This is insane. I'm probably going to do something totally non gear, non guitar. I mean, you're going to buy I an may, interface. I may look at um, some uh, in ear stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Just the drivers, just the drivers. Yeah. Yeah. So if they're not cheap. That, if you're going to go that way, I would look at Ultimate Ears or somebody like that and yeah. see, get, find a laser measuring center. And if you have to go drive to get them, like yep. it would be that for that, it would be worth it because you'll have them the rest of your life. Exactly. Um, I've been thinking about that actively too for a while, but if for me to do it, I would have to get a wireless in ear monitor system, which yep. is not. Which I have. Well, that's the thing. Like I might buy one at GearFest. Like that would, that's something that I would think about. Um, but I probably, so I need an attenuator more than anything. That's gonna happen. Like whether it's GearFest or not, this JP thing is probably not going to happen right now. I'm going to be completely honest with you just because there are other things that need to come first. And yep. I got to get, I got to get a backup amp. That's actually worth a damn. So right. for me to, you know, to get a power amp for the um, helix, once I get the power amp, I'll probably just sell my Katana head and I'll be down to like a smaller amount of rig stuff. Um, and of course at the end of this year, I'm probably going to sell off the red legacy. Um, I because because I need I just don't have room for as many guitars I have <laughs> like that's right. gonna sound really bad how many guitars is too many well I have too many right now and then maybe next year I'll buy a, a Kiesel seven string something or I will find a seven string that is more traditional that I can get for good time music so, right yep anyway that, um, that makes sense that makes a lot of sense um so yeah I, I'm I'm just trying to transition into less guitars, really. That's that's what's happening here. Is like I have I'm I'm at this turning point where it's like I only really play a couple of them right now. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's gonna slim down even further. So this desert island thing like directly relates to the fact that I really don't use that many and I never really have. It was always nice. So I'm you we the 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 premise of how we started the show is like I was the studio rat and you were the the live guy. And um going back to that, like that's part of the reason why I have so many different guitars is because like when you have to multi-track something, you don't want it to sound exactly the same. Exactly. So, um, oftentimes you don't want it to sound exactly. The same. There are times where you do. Um, so I'm like kind of of the frame of mind that the reason why I've had got five different strats, you know, is because right. one sounds just a bit different, you know, for different things. And, yeah. but, uh, I just, I don't need that. I really don't like at the end of the day, most of my guitar tracks are like done with two guitars. So I could probably get down, get down with a pair to be honest with yeah. you. So a pair of what? A I, pair would of probably, guitar? I would probably, yeah, I'd probably do an S 500 and probably, I would probably keep my Kiesel. Yeah. If I had to like slim down everything else, even the guitars I'm sentimental about, those would be the two that stay. Yeah. USA. As much as I hate to admit it, you know, I'd probably have a, um, a Telecaster somewhere in the, in the mix. Well, I could see a Telecaster being a Desert Island guitar for a lot of people too. Well, well, I'd have a Strat and a Tele. Because so, if you want to be rugged on that Desert Island, like the, the Telecaster is a good uh, a good rugged guitar. Exactly. Um, I think anything other than a Telecaster is probably um, probably not going to be that rugged. And 
I've heard people say that about the Strat too, but let me tell you, there's too many moving parts on that thing for it to be what I would consider a rugged guitar. Um, unless you have a hardtail, maybe. Yeah, that's true. That's true. What else you got in your yeah. list? You said you had like nine topics, man. I do. Are you ready? Yeah. I gotta. I gotta find that one. The just one guitar. Um. All right. So the next thing I had was, where do you put your uh, so? Where do you put your volume pedal in your pedal chain? So I'm gonna I'm gonna say uh, so uh, I'm gonna give the prop I'm gonna give some props to the guys at uh, the um, pedal that pedal shop because usually you know how I am about that pedal show I kind of go I go waffling back and forth with those guys because one of them comes across as a real snob and and I know he doesn't mean to but he does they are snobs and, uh, no let's not make let's not make bones about it I watched a video of them recently where they're like. I don't see how I could do anything but play a tape delay now. Oh, Look, yeah. you're a guy. shut up. That's just yeah, that's, shut up. That's definitely, yeah. if that didn't come out there of there are Mexico, professional players out there who will not use a tape delay because they know better. Like, I just shut up. Mick, Mick is more condescending than. <laughs> yeah, because the other guy's trying to sell stuff. Right, right. He's, he's a lot better at it. Mick is not good at it. He's, he's, he's very condescending. He's a, he's your typical, um, uh, they're trying to be they're trying to be cork sniffers on that show like really bad and and i I, being a cork sniffer just just because like you've experienced things and you've made decisions about what you're doing is one thing but being a cork sniffer because you're trying to that's weird (laughs) well yeah so i i um i was watching it and uh they did a really good episode about where to put the volume pedal Right, right and here's the thing a lot of people put their volume pedal first and the reason they do that is because they use it um, as a way to control the volume of the guitar. And here's the problem with it. You know this, um, and I'm only giving this for our, our listeners, is when you, put the, when you put the volume pedal in front of the, of the, uh, in the first thing in your chain, put it in front of everything, what you've done is you've replaced the volume pot of your guitar and you've put it at the end of an X number of feet um, board whatever the feet between you and the, and the um, yeah. pedal. So you so increase capacitance. So what you've done is compre- increase capacitance at that point. So your roll-off is not going to be that nice roll-off that you would get if you did it at the guitar. So the, if you're using it because you want to control your overall volume, one of the best places to put it is in the uh, – there's, there's two places. Um, but they have different ways of of managing the volume. One, you could put it in the um, at the very end of your effects loop chain. And that way, it is truly a master volume. It's going to go up and down. It'll act like that. You don't want a standard volume pedal to do that, though. And that's because impedance, right? So you're going to want to have you're going to want to have one of the line level volume pedals. You're going to do that. That's my understanding, because because usually it's hotter coming out of the amp than it would be, you know, coming out of your guitar. So the whole thing. Um, I where there's another place you can put it is at the end of your right. board. That's right, just before the amp. Problem. Okay, so that's so here. here let, let's let's. I want to I want to look at this from the solution side, right? So what does the volume pedal solve for? Not having control over the volume of your guitar, right? Um, and yes, he's right. Running a cable into it is going to add capacitance unless you're buffered. 
And there are situations where people run buffers in the on the front of their board and a volume pedal after. It's not going to be the same as trolling it on your guitar, but it's not supposed to be, right? And I would, that's the argument I would make. Uh, I have used, again, I think that the capacitance thing, I don't know if they demonstrated it on the show, but I, but I have a feeling that that's like a lot less of an issue than they're making it out to be. Um, because most pedals don't, they're not super capacity sensitive, capacitance sensitive, right? So like if I run into a tube screamer, it doesn't give a shit. Like I could have, right. you know, a signal that's all over the place. If I run into a fuzz face, that might be an issue because that's a, a more vintage um, approach to pedal building. And so a lot of your pedals from the late 60s, early 70s would have those kinds of issues. But even something as simple as like a phase 90, you're not yep. going to be able to tell the difference. You're really not. Nope. So um, I, I, I have a volume pedal. I actually have a VP Junior and it's sitting up in my, my uh, cabinet above my head right now. Um, I've used it eight or nine times for my SG. And that's because you cannot control the volume on an SG while you are playing. Uh, and that is, uh, in my opinion, a terrible, terrible place to put your your uh, volume knob. Um, so, because so many players rely on it. And Jim, you just you just ditched an SG and you cited that as part of the reason. Um, I, I mean, so obviously you're aware of it. But I, here's the other thing. If you put it at the end of your pedal board, if you're relying on your amp for drive, that's not that's really going to do anything. Right. Exactly. It's going to act like your volume knob on your guitar, close yep. to pedal board, <laughs> right? Which is a completely different thing. Yeah, yeah. So if you're like, I think a lot of the re- the, the the rise of volume knobs has been for swells in um swells. in in uh, praise and worship music specifically. That's right. Um, I, not that it doesn't get used in other music, but like for praise and worship music, that's a big deal. And I yep. think the other thing is, um, it is. Because of the rise of pedal boards, like how many people do you know, Jim, or have you run into where their pedal board was worth more than their guitar and their amp? I know, right? And and that's and that's what I want to point out. So these people are like, no, I want my pedal board to do everything. I don't, I don't want the guitar to even like. I have to worry about what guitar I'm plugging into it. Yep. And 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 so if you're doing the road thing, see, Moore, right? They have a pedal right now that is an IR loader. Like we're getting to the point that we are, we are just putting a speaker cab right at the end of our pedal board, which in my mind is absolutely insane because you're not getting anything like the sound you would get straight out of a, you know, an amp right into a cabinet mic'd up. Like that's not, that's not what that sound is. Okay. There's no amplifier in your equation. You're not adding compression unless your pedal is adding compression, your pedal is not emulating anything like a speaker cable running into the cabinet. Like there's, there's a bunch of problems I have with this whole equation. Um, Unless you're using an amp in the box at the end of your chain and your amp in the box does a speaker modeling. I just don't feel like that's a good solution. I just, I can't, Um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to stick a cabinet model out in front of a blue, a blues driver. Even though some people have said the blues drivers are pretty rudimentary amp in a box. Because the blues driver, when I plug it direct into my DAW, doesn't sound anything like an amp plugged directly into my DAW. Like, it, right. it doesn't. Um, so, I don't know. For what it's worth, I think that those people are kind of barking up the wrong tree. But I do, I do think um, there's a logical reason for that. People are wanting to 
they're wanting a helix, right? They want an analog helix is what they want. Um, and so, or an analog, you know, modeler thing. And okay, I, I understand it. And I, that's fine by you. I'm sure that I know tech 21 makes some great analog modeling products. Um, I just think that that's, that's almost like, well, I would just rather have a completely modular pedal board and spend all my money on that and putting that together than I would like actually thinking about the other things that matter, like my guitar and my amplifier <laughs> and, you know, playing actual music that, that allows me to be a little bit loud. Um, we're just, we're becoming very polite. Guitar players are very polite, right? Remember when the, remember when the meme was like, how many stacks do you need? You know, like, um, right. I, with a bunch of cabinets in some dude's basement. Um, now it's like, can you turn down? I can't hear to order my beer. <laughs> well, what are we doing? What is happening to rock and roll? And I know obviously not everybody plays rock and roll, but I mean, when you go into a club and there's a rock band playing and they're like turning down, you know, you're going, what? <laughs> I, I'm with you on that. It's just, um, it gets ridiculous. Yeah. So, um, bear that in mind. If you're one of these guys that's doing like the full on pedal board thing, like I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. I'm just saying like, for me, the way I think about things and the way that I would use it, it's not going to accomplish what I need at all. Even with that diesel VH4 that somebody bought in the group, um, they yep. bought the diesel VH4 pedal, oh, yeah. which, which I think sounds ridiculously good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's i need more than that i need i need like a power amp <laughs> of some sort yep. um, to, to actually like push it that's the other thing is like you're getting even even if you can make the argument okay so it's already emulating the power tubes inside the box right even if you can make that argument the argument i have against that is that you're not you're not amplifying it loud enough to actually hear what the frequencies do at higher volumes because we obviously know that there's the the fletcher munson curve or the equal loudness curves that allow our, our ear to emphasize certain frequencies at certain volumes. Um, and so I've been using that as a way to like compensate for my sounds in the helix um, so that I can program at lower volumes. And then literally all I do is turn that EQ block off when I'm playing live and turn it up and it'll sound fine. Yep. Um, you can do that kind of stuff. You can do that with any rig, but you have to have the forethought to do it. And if you're not doing that, if you're running direct to the PA, your guitar is so quiet that you're never going to hear what it's supposed to sound like anyway. And so I think what's happening, it's not so much that people are doing something inadequate. I, Jim, I think the sound of guitar is changing. Like the, what we anticipated as the norm was that loud rock and roll pants blown in the wind thing. It's not going to be the thing for very long that, that, that was 50 years. And now the next 150 years of electric guitar are going to be whole nother thing. Um, and actually I could see a day when we're not plugging quarter inch cables anymore that we're, that we're using ethernet cables or something crazy like yeah. that, because yeah. we're going to be digital before long. The guitar will be putting digital output directly from the guitar and all of your modeling stuff will be brought right into the guitar. Yeah, I can see it. You know, the very axis is there, but yeah, well, that's like the rudimentary form, but in another 15 years, think about this, Jim. The the Roland synth guitar, the one that looks like a gun, it has a big long stabilizer arm on it. You know the one I'm talking about, the GR yeah, well, or whatever it is. Yep. All right, so the GR 300, right? That was what that came out in like 84, 85. Mm -hmm. 
And then in 97, 98 is when the Variax came out. Yeah. So 12 years later, we had the Variax. And you know what's crazy is we've had other products like the Variax since then, like um, the Roland GR system, uh, not the MIDI thing, but the the pickup modeling thing that they did. And right. I, I really think that once that hardware gets down to a cheap enough level and gets fast enough, yeah. we're going to be, be pushing buttons on the guitar to get distortion and stuff. It's all been about tracking. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's, it's about tracking and it's about the speed with which we can track because even now you have to process the signal and you have to have a certain length of signal in order to determine what note it is. Yeah. But, but we're getting there and it's going to be really quick and really wild. Oh yeah. So I, I can say this, the, the, my volume pedal resides at the front of my case. Do you use it the front? Only reason, yeah. The only reason that I do that, um, I wouldn't use it at all. I do it for two reasons. Number one, I can use it as a quick um, uh, mute. Um, but the other reason is if I'm going to do volume swells in my, in the way I do it, um, if I've got a lot of picking to do, I don't want to do it with the volume knob. Now, if it's if it's less picking, I actually use the volume knob. I don't use the um, the pedal, but that's you know just different strokes. I don't use one at all. Um, yeah, and I and, know there's people that don't use them at all. Well, and there's a lot of people that don't really even use their volume knob, which is that's that's kind of surprising to me because I do use the volume knob quite a bit, but. There are people that do all of their their varying dynamics with the pick. Yeah, like that. That is startling and astounding to me. Yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, well, and that's uh, I. I think that that's you know not to not to brag because I'm certainly not a great guitar player, but um, for me it goes all those ways. I I use my pick, or I use my fingers, or I use the volume knob. Or I use the volume pedal. I mean, it was all over. Yeah. So the string debate continues in the group. I just want to say that GHS sucks. And we want to say, hey, Robert. You don't like GHS? You don't like GHS? No, it's not GHS. I'm sorry. Early balls suck. Yeah, they do suck. But we already we already made a, um, a dig at Ernie Ball earlier, uh, making such crappy strings. I'm not saying that Ernie Ball, look. I do want to. I do want to clarify this a little bit. Yeah, Look, not everything Ernie Ball puts out is garbage. No, even string wise. Yeah, but the slinkies that everyone loves. Yeah. What in the hell, man? <laughs> I have a set of. You can't see them. They're off camera over my. Um, yeah, you got some slinkies over there. I got some slinkies got over some here. Slinkies. I got some hybrid slinkies. They were on sale, so I bought a three pack. They're nine forty six hybrids. All right, so um, I wanted to go over uh, one more uh, thing, breaking out of ruts. We talked about changing tuning as a way to break out of ruts. Just get a seven string, you'll be fine. Yeah, people were talking about that, and I think both of us, I think everybody, (laughs) the one thing that you want to do, the first thing you want to do when you get a new toy, right, play with it. So when it comes to breaking out of a rut for um, playing guitar, Certainly new gear is one way to break out of a rut, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this guitar, I've been playing it a lot. Um, 
And that certainly pulls you into where, oh, let me try this. Let me try this. Let me try this with it. You know, those types of things. The things that I have experienced recently, because I get in ruts a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what what happens is like, okay, so I play a lot of first position pentatonic, you know, like the where the roots on the, the OE, right? Right. Um, in the first finger. Um, and then, so what I'll do is I'll say, okay, so I'm going to force myself to play this solo in the second position. And just something that simple is enough. Or saying, I'm only going to use three fingers. Like those yep. little stupid details like that are great ways to get out of ruts because you're putting a limitation on yourself and it forces you to be creative and it takes away the tricks you commonly use to get out of problems. And that's what it, that's why you get into a rut, right? Like you can't think creatively about how to get into uh, either, I guess it's remove limits or add them. And I think adding them is far cheaper than than removing limits by going to buy new gear. Um, so I would recommend before anybody goes out and runs out and buys a guitar um, or amp or changes their strings to some new brand or uh, starts using their pedals in a different way, which that could be enlightening too. Um, all of those things are great alternatives if you can do it. Uh, you can just like change your I don't want to say change your tuning because we talked about that last week, but you just change your technique in in a certain way. Um, Limit yourself. I'm not going to use the low E for this riff. I'm not, you know, or I'm going to transpose this and I'm going to do everything as an inversion. Like those are simple things you can do that are totally all in your head. And if you can play, if you know enough to dream it, you know enough to change your habit, right? And it, I know a lot of people get stuck on the idea, like, I have to identify what it is that, that is the rut. Like, I have to know what I'm doing, that I'm doing over and over and over. And I, and I would like to say that, no, you don't. You really don't. All you have to do is say, I'm going to place a limitation that takes away the common, like, the, the stuff that feels comfortable to me. And that's what it is. It's about comfort zones. If you're not getting out of your comfort zone, you're not learning as a guitar player. You're not, you're not getting into a new space, right? So we should be always, as musicians, guitar players, singers, whatever we're, what it is that we're doing, be pushing the boundaries of what's possible for us to do. Not the, in, not the industry or the people, but us. So if you do that, if every day you get out of your comfort zone for five or ten minutes, you will improve as a guitar player. I can guarantee it. Yep. Get to the bank. And if you don't, I'll club this baby seal. That's right. Club this baby seal. I'll shoot this dog in the head. Remember that mag magazine? Uh, so that would that would go over well these days. Club it in baby I, seal. I, Let's see how fast I get blood thrown on me. That's one of the things. So one of the song, one of the pop songs that we do, um, there's a whistled part in the song. And I don't okay. want to name the tune, but um, there's a part where they whistle. And then they kind of sing that melody. So what I do is during the whistled part, I play it up high on the neck and then I bring it down low on the neck. You when, do it with an octave fuzz. No, I just sing. I just play it. I, I know, I know Jim, but time. I'm just saying like, it would just be totally ridiculous to play with. That, would, do you know the song? <laughs> <laughs> I could guess. What, what song do you think it is? Is it, is it Moves Like Jagger? Yeah, it's Moves Like ah, Jagger. I got it you. would be hilarious with a with an octave fuzz, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would, dude. That's why I'm like, that's what you should do. I should try. I'm Every guitar player in the room would laugh their ass off. I'm going to try that later tonight. 
I'm going to try that and see how it goes. And then I'll try it with the band and see how they like it. But uh, yeah, so <clears throat> what I do is I, I challenge myself similarly. I, I, I say, okay, let me see if I can move this. I talked about in the group, I talked about um, how YYZ, uh, there was two different tablature things. And Alan, Adam Perlmutter had it in one place and Andy Aldor had it in another. And, uh, and I was like, well, that's interesting. But Adam Perlmutter, if you would have played it his way, it would have been a lot harder. <laughs> Well, so I, I you know, riff that way. And that's the funny thing is like, you will run into tabs like that. Right. People will do things. There's like, well, this is easier for me because I have this other technique under my belt that allows me to get it done. But you're like, why would, why would anyone ever that? play it this way? The one that I'm thinking about is you, I uh, shared the message in a bottle. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. There Actually, it was uh, some way easier ways to play that song, especially if you have a seven string. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. If I had a seven yeah, string, it would seven. definitely. Be. Yeah. But I'm just saying, like, it, I can play those ninths, right? Mm -hmm. I have, even though my fingers are short, I can play those ninths, and mm -hmm. I can tell you right now, it is no picnic. No. <laughs> no. At that first night, the first night in the, I can get the rest of them, no problem. I can move right into them, but I got to come out of that slide and go back into that first night because the first time you get it, eh, that's so bad. The second time I get it, holy crap. I oh. used to, I, so I used to play an F9, right? Yeah. At the first fret. Mm -hmm. And then the second chord in the same song was a, so an F9. So it would have been a C, it would have been a C with an F in the bass. Yeah. <laughs> That's, it's just C5, F in the bass. Yeah. Think about that for a minute. Oh, I did. <laughs> so I it, my wrist hurt. No, it's a C sharp. C sharp. Because so a C5 okay. would be the normal F9. Right. So it was a C sharp with an F in the bass. Jeez. So this stretch is like four frets. <laughs> as it is. Because I'm, I'm a glutton for punishment. Yeah, well, as it is, the, uh, the stretch on uh, the first chord in um, Message in a Bottle is a four, four fret stretch. Yeah. From fret four to fret eight. Yeah. So no, so... Imagine doing that, but shifting the lower power chord up a note. Yeah. So it's a C sharp minor nine. Yeah. 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 It's a hell of a chord. <laughs> and there's different ways to, there's better ways to finger that than the way I was doing it. Well, let me tell you oh, that. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. So um, that's one of the things I had written down. So when it comes to that, I, I guess go, going right along with the next thing I had, which was, underrated guitar players and you don't hear andy summers you, you everybody when you mention andy summers people go oh yeah andy summers i love the police i love you know um especially those fourth the first four albums um they're they're great albums i, I can remember you know it was kind of college punk almost um with a pop sensibility uh and i remember the first time trying to play every breath you take that that synchronicity record is yeah. one of the best records of the eighties ever. Yeah, not synchronicity ever, ever too. Yeah, for sure. Synchronicity. Yeah, that's the one I'm talking about. The one with Murder by Numbers and stuff on it. Yep. And the, and the production of that album is like out of this world. Right. But the funny thing is, the guys were not even able to sit in the same room without fighting each other. Oh, I know. Sting I know. and well, Andy Summers were getting into Sting. fist fights. Yeah. <laughs> No, that's the, it was um, 
Uh, no, Sting and Stu Copeland. Yeah, it was Stuart Copeland, right. Well, so here's why Andy Summers doesn't really get the, the credit he deserves, right? So Andy does, um, he does the police. It works out. He does, um, he, I think he was in some bands before the police too. Um, but none of them were like super successful. So um, he was in Soft Machine for like a couple months. And then uh, he was part of the Eric Burden Animals. And um, I think, I don't remember, there was another, there's another band that he was in that it was like real brief, but none of them ever like worked out very well. And then, so 1977, of course, he joins, the, he joins the police and um, they do, you know, all these different records that are, that are really uh, well thought of. So uh, I think they have a self-titled and of course, Proud of the Blanc and, and Post Machine. And then later on uh, they do, um, they did uh, Synchronicity. Um, which, you know, like we were saying, is one of the one of the great police albums. Um, Post Police, like he didn't do much after the Police. He really didn't. Uh, after the Police, he did. Um, he did, did some session stuff. He did something with Robert Fripp. Yep. Um, and then after that, like, there's I'm I'm actually looking at the Wikipedia just to see if there was anything I was th- not wasn't thinking of. Um, not much. A couple of solo albums. Um, well, no. So he did the du- duets albums, which is I Advanced and Bewitched with Robert Fripp. And yep. then um, he did a solo album called XYZ, which came out in 87. Okay. Um, and then I guess a, another record called Charming Snakes in 1990. Um, but really, from 1990 to 1999, he didn't do much of anything. Uh, he did a he did a rock oriented album called synesthesia and the last dance of Mr. X. And then he did a couple of jazz records. Cause you could tell like he's heavily jazz influenced in his music. Like you ever really, you know, sat down and listened to like how he plays. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so then there was this thing called circus zero after the police reunion. So they, they reunited, um, did a a tour in 2007. I saw that tour. I I spent a lot of money to go, um, mm-hmm. and I I felt like I had to because I knew the police weren't going to get back together. Like that's a band that they were going to fight, and that was going to be the end of it. Um, yep. So they they raised a lot of money for this water charity, um, bringing yeah. water to the third world and irrigation systems, all that. And then that was it. Um, so in 2013, he started a band uh, called Circus Zero um, with some people I don't recognize. And um, which did really well in the Japanese charts, believe it or not. And then um, he had he had formed a police cover band. Yeah. What? Isn't that weird? That's weird. So uh, of the other members of the police, right? So we Sting obviously has had a very successful solo career, all kinds of stuff. Um, everything from you know the Blue Turtle record all the way to you know. Uh, Desert Rose or whatever the name of that song is, um, and he's—I mean, he's hit every genre of music in there, from classical to um, to you know even. Uh, he did a country song that actually yeah. charted in the country yeah. music charts, um, and so Sting, you know, like obviously he's been very successful. Sting was always the front man for that band; like it was no secret that he was going to go off and do his own thing that was going to be very successful. Over, yeah. um, 
Stuart Copeland went off and started scoring film. Yeah. And then, of course, he did a project with uh, the guy from Primus and uh, Trianastasio as well, which is actually really good. Yeah. Blue something or, or Oyster? No, it was Oyster Head. That's oyster. Yep. Um, and that's, that's a pretty good uh, – that was a pretty good thing. But, like, Andy Summers just didn't do anything after the police. Like, Not really. Like, I already made enough money that I don't really care anymore. I'm going to do what I want to do and not worry about being this – juggernaut of you know making great popular music um i I I remember seeing an article or uh an interview where he just said he was not interested in it anymore i mean it was just like that does not surprise me at all it doesn't i'm just looking at his career right like i'm not i don't know a lot about the guy other than i know that like he got his telecaster while he was in college and there was some you know some stuff like that that I've read here and there, but he just strikes me as a guy that just doesn't care about like making money. It's just not yep. a thing for him. And he's got enough money because he was in the police. Right. So he's going to do what he wants to do now. Yeah. Um, if you think about it now, the crazy thing though is Jim. So we're talking, here we are talking about Andy Summers, right. Um, and talking about like how his career really didn't do a whole lot about after the police, but every guitar player knows who he is. So maybe he's so influential because of his time in the police that he didn't really have to do much else. And there's another thing I want to point out too. We were talking a couple of weeks ago about um, who killed the guitar solo. Yep. Andy Summers killed the guitar solo. You really think so? Yes. Because I remember when I, when I first started getting into the police and I was, I was, a, I was late teens, right? And um, eh, I was probably early teens. And I was listening to uh, their records, listening for guitar solos. There's only a handful in the entire catalog. And in that time period for the kind of music they were playing, so like 1977, there's only a handful of, of guitar solos. What the hell? You know, you know what I mean? Like, that's not normal. Um, and actually, most of the solos could be seen as just a melody part played on guitar. They're not really a solo per se. Um it's not like it's featuring guitar or something. It's just done that way because it was convenient. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I, I think he's a fantastic guitar player. I think he's a role model for a lot of people because his contributions to the music were more as like a, a mature singer songwriter kind of deal where he was like, okay, so we're doing these chords and I'm going to find a part that fits within that. And he's very much like, um, gosh, we always forget the dude's name. The guy that, the guy that did get lucky. Um, oh, oh. Niles. Niles Rogers. Now Rogers, right. Niles so now so Rogers, he's very much a Nile Rogers, right? right? The guy that kind of sits in the background, makes some really cool stuff that's going to stand the test of time, like Message in a Bottle and Walking yep. on the Moon and all these different songs. Um, and none of that stuff is really technically all that challenging, except for like when he's doing the nine chord thing. Um, and it has left a lasting impression without him having to do anything else. Yeah. I mean, the police did five albums. Yeah, if you think about it, there wasn't a whole lot um, synchronous or uh, what is it? Uh, Trace Amigos. That was. No, that would have been uh, those other three guys. Zanyata Manyata or something. They did, they did five albums. They did. Um, I'm, I'm looking up their things so we can so we can be specific. Outlandos de Amor. Yep. 
Regatta de Blanc, Zenyatta Mandata, Ghost of the Machine, and Synchronicity. Oh, wait, there was Synchronicity too. No, this is all on the same record. Oh, Synchronicity. Oh, that's right. The song was Synchronicity. Yes, there was, there was two versions of the same song, which were written i i don't there's a reason why they called them synchronicity and it has to do with the um the union concept of uh collective unconscious and like how they both wrote a very similar song yep. and then so they decided they were going to use them both and one would be synchronicity one and two I, I i don't remember there's there's a story about it um but man like that re- that record so we we talk about that record synchronicity one and two are on that record walking in your footsteps message in a bottle walking on the moon um no, that's a set list. What am I looking at? No, I knew that wasn't on there. <laughs> Walk. I'm trying to go back and like go through my head. I'm like, I know Synchronicity 1, 2, obviously. And then um, I know uh, like King of Pain is on there. Wrapped Around Your Finger is on there. Yeah. Um, Every Breath You Take is on that record. Mm-hmm. Uh, which like you want to ban, you want to talk about a song that is highly misunderstood. Um, that's one yeah that's one wrapped around your finger is definitely that's another one too king of pain king of pain that whole album is about torture and awful stuff that you do to other people murder by numbers i mean that whole record is about like the dark side of of humanity but you wouldn't know that if somebody didn't tell you if you didn't know the song titles like it seems like everything's just hunky-dory and everything's okay except that we're killing people by slipping tablets of poison into their coffee yeah (laughs) so if you haven't checked that record out if you're young like i am and you don't own it or something go get it because it's it is really good um and i you know the, the trend today is that like people are really into this like ambient stuff they pioneered it um, them and Pink Floyd and like a couple of other bands were really responsible for like this big open space in music. And, and this record in particular, the, just, just the bass playing alone makes it worth it. And the production also makes it worth it. And there was a time period in my life where I spent, I sat down and I was like, I was sampling the drums from Stuart Copeland on that record. Cause I was like, oh. I want to use these. Like, I want to take the, I was trying to get individual snare hits and stuff. Like, yeah, it didn't work out too well, but I tried. <laughs> oh, I believe it. Oh, that's right. This record actually is one of the first records to use drum triggers to double the drums. They were using sampler and drum triggers to double the drum. That's why the drums sound so damn good. Yeah, that makes sense. So. Well, all I know is that when I heard Roxanne the first time, it's on the first album. Yeah, that's on. Uh, Orlando stay more. Yep. And don't, stand, don't stand so don't close stand to me. So close to me. Yeah, that's the song I like. And and you know what? That's directly indicative of where they were going with their career was to like do these darker tunes that had yep. pop sensibilities. That had a poppy had a yeah. service. Oh, look at how high and high and light and fluffy yeah. this song is. And they it's looked, about get the away from me. <laughs> yeah, it's about like killing people, or in his case, it's about you know a a a. a, a a girl that's trying to sleep with her teacher. Like yeah. that's just messed up. Like when you think about that, that's just messed up. And they did, um, they did a greatest hits record and they redid that song. Oh, I know. And they did it in a really spooky yeah, way. I like the, I like the, the remake they took a, lot. It to a new place. Yeah. yeah. I actually like the remake just as much, if not more of them than the original. Right. Right. And of course, I'm, can't stand losing you. I mean, it was just, 
Yeah. It, be my girl, Sally, instead of Mustang Sally. And you know what? He's a guy that didn't have a complicated rig. No. He ran like a Phase 90, a Marshall, and a Telecaster. It sounds like so much more shit going on there. But he oh, just, yeah. Later on, he started using rolling JC120s and stuff. But, I mean, honestly, there was not a lot going on there. Uh, yeah. Delay, you know, like... And it wasn't even like, oh, I'm going to use this specific delay. It was like, what do you got? You know, <laughs> I don't care. It's just incredible. And and he did all that stuff. Most of that stuff he did on Telecast, just on his Telecast. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think the Telecaster is used on probably 80 to 90% of the, the material. I know he used a strap for synchronicity. Yeah. And he had some that. company built a, a guitar for him later on. I that was the, the strat I was talking about. The, um, was a what's a serb that was like um okay so it was a strat style yeah 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 yeah, that's what i meant um he had he had strats too but he was that telecaster was pretty much what he used in the studio so yeah but it's just yeah i i enjoyed you know working his songs it was so much to his style of playing given the um he's a jazz player playing rock music and like when you stop and you 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 examine people like that, okay? So he's not the only guy to do that. There's a lot of not just lot rock. Of it was punk. Yeah, like he it was, was like really aggressive punk. Playing aggressive punk. I mean, when you still listen to um, "Can't Stand," "Can't Stand Losing," I mean, it, the the riff and the it's just a punk song. Um, know? and well, so I yeah, you say that, but I I actually see um a lot of reggae. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. Way there was more no reggae than punk, that. believe it or not. Way more reggae than punk. Yep. Um, but I, you know, the choruses and stuff were always more punk. But it was, but I think part of the reason was they they got big in France. They're an English band that somehow made it in France. Yeah, which is yeah. actually why their first two records are in French, like the the yep. title. And you can get French copies of the record where they're all singing in French. Yep. yep um, I believe that. Which is odd to say the least, but, um, yeah, it's odd to our Western ears because we didn't, we weren't exposed to them when they were a French band. Um, (laughs) no, I didn't hear about them until probably late seventies, early eighties. Yeah. I mean, so they broke in 77. I think they were around, I think they were like gigging and and starting to get popular in like 75. Yeah. Um, but they, they didn't release it out by 84, dude. Like they only, they were only around like six years or seven years. Six years. 78 84 yeah very short time um and i don't know they're they are one of the great bands like i don't i don't know of anyone that that i would think contemporarily that has all the pieces of song making like they did i can't kind of blame sting when it's when it came to copeland because copeland he said would he couldn't keep him you know his timing Copeland's still an asshole. Yeah. Like you, uh, they did that tour, and all Copeland could talk about was how much he hated getting on stage playing with them. Yeah, I was like, "Wow, dude! Like this is nuts." Yeah, um, and then of course he came out and he just slayed that night. You know, the, the the problem is the music that they were playing. Like it was so reggae oriented. The only reason that Copeland was their default drummer when they when they actually met him and like started playing with him was because he was the only one that could pull those rhythms off. Right, right. That makes but, sense. But Copeland was getting bored. Like that's what was going on because he was a much better drummer than they gave him credit for. And all they wanted to do was the like the reggae stuff. So 
or a lot of what he was ending up doing in that band. He would have made a suitable replacement for Neil Peart and in, in Rush if if that had happened. You know what I mean? Like he was in that that oh yeah, he was in that level. Um I just that was never gonna happen, obviously. But I mean, I'm just saying like that's that's where he was at. He's in that tier. Him and and uh uh Phil Collins, which by the way, if you ever want to see a discography that has like literally every artist from the eighties on it. Oh yeah. That's Phil Look Collins up. on drums, not yeah. vocals drums um. <laughs> um and he was known for being like like a uh neil pert you know but more musical you know and that's that's the way that like a lot of people characterize him was like that with that with soul you know um and there are some records of him just going off he did brand x i think or is it band x or brand x that stuff is just out of this world drum wise um and then, of course, you stop and you realize, like, a lot of that stuff was done with a single bass pedal. <laughs> and you're like, how did this ever happen? I'm actually going to see a cover band tonight that uh, does some of the Phil Collins Genesis stuff. And, well, they do. That's all they do. Um, they, you know, it's, it's Genesis cover band and and his era, like Peter Gabriel's era, but but also some of his stuff, too. And then, like, of course, they were on drums. He was on drums while, while uh, Peter Gabriel's a singer. And it's, I mean... I go to watch the drums. Like, honestly, I'm like, holy mother of God. Um, and they've had some guys historically that are super good um, doing that stuff because they do it. Like, in fact, I've seen one of the guys did it with single bass pedal all night long. And I'm going, how? <laughs> like, how? How does how does a modern player know how to do that? Um, this is interesting. So we're talking about uh, the police synchronicity tour, right? Here are the opening acts. Do you want to, if you want to get an idea of how big uh, the police were and how respected they were, uh, Joan Jett, yeah. Flock of Seagulls, Ministry, Phoebe <laughs> Ray Vaughan, uh, The Talking yep. Heads, yep. James Brown, wow. R.E.M., yep. The Animals, uh, Brian Adams, like, <laughs> yeah, that a uh, Berlin. Um, I don't know. So that was for that was for the synchronicity tour alone. Those were different opening acts that opened for them. Easy. Yeah. Um, so the big one was the Ghost in the Machine tour, which that's another great record. Um, and that is I'm looking to see if they have opening acts listed for that. No, they don't. Dang it. So yeah. Uh unsung guitar players. If you want to talk about unsung guitar players, I will nominate uh I will nominate uh, Mr. Summers. Summers. Yeah, Mr. Yeah. Summers. Or Mr. Summers. For that role. Um, if that is your real name. I'm sure it is. Oh, here's a picture of him with his red strat. Yep. Yeah. Anyway. They love Who would you strat. nominate? Who's your who's your unsung hero? Unsung? Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's hard for me uh because there's so many um so many people that I really enjoy hearing you know that uh it didn't get a there's lot some of- other there's some other ones i'd put up there too people that people know about but like don't really respect what they actually did yep um but for me mick jones from from foreigner is uh, yeah he's he's definitely an unsung guitar hero i i put him more in the songwriting category myself but yes um there is some killer stuff in that catalog yep 
I'm a I've seen Foreigner, by the way. I'm a big Foreigner. Yeah. And not yeah. the uh, the franchises running around with the Foreigner name. Yeah, yet. no, yeah, no. I've seen Foreigner <laughs> for uh yeah, thank goodness before um I uh, saw him after uh Lou Graham's brain cancer. Yeah. After he uh, after he got he got better and yeah, yeah they did one tour and yep. it was like all the dudes that had played with him over the years. It was really good. It was a yeah. festival night. Yeah, and I think Tommy Shaw is another one that sits in that category of guitar players that can really play, but he kind of got stuck in a, you know. I I don't have much I don't have much to say about Tommy Shaw that would be nice. Yeah. Well, he's got an ego. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he he used it to usurp a band. Yeah. Oh yeah. Really bad, and yeah. um, that's why. Like maybe as a player and like talent, like yeah, okay, he's great. But I think the guy's got a real oh, what he did, mental, what he did, problem. Yeah, what he did to. Um, I mean, here's a guy. Oh, I'm I'm not I'm cashing all the checks, but I hate what I'm doing. But I'm going to cash all the checks, guys. Very much, very much. Kind of that um, way. Well, same well, with J J Y. Um, I I mean. I'm trying to think there's probably some other guys that like come to mind, but um, the dude in cake, the current one, Dane, oh. Dan McCurdy. Yeah. That it's guy it's is pretty. monstrous. Yep. Do you know what his rig is? No, it's, it's like a Gibson 175 or something like that. Like the big one, um, country gentleman or whatever it is. You know what I'm talking about? Are you talking about, um, Zan McCray, yeah. McCurdy, yeah. yeah, McCurdy, right? Um, I knew there was McCray and McCurdy, and I was trying. To... He plays a big ass hollow box, you know, hollow jazz box Gibson yeah. through yeah. a rat, yeah. and he doesn't even have the rat on a proco rat <laughs> into into like a silver tone or something crazy like that. And if you heard the sounds on those records, oh my god! Like you, you sit there, you go. That's coming out of that. Yep. And I mean, just a solid guitar player comes up with really creative parts that sound great. Um, has a total mastery over the sounds of the seventies and eighties and sixties. Like that's yeah. all he does. And he's yeah, that, great at it. that funky style. He's got a short, long or a short skirt, long jacket. Well, there was a guy before uh, him. Uh, uh, I want to see if it was Dan Brown was the other guitar player. It might've been John Brown. Um, never there. The other guitar player that that they had it first on the first yeah but and he's great he too the one i know i know mccurdy was the one on long skirt short jacket yeah pretty sure he was on never there yes he, he um, came in on the second album yeah he's been with him for a really long time now at this point yeah um, and i was looking to see if i could find um oh there's here's an equipment outline so i can figure out what guitar it was it's a Chet Atkins Tennessean. Yep. Yep. The single. <laughs> uh, yeah. Through yep. a through a. Oh my gosh! Get this. I thought he was using an old tweed. It's yep. a 1994 Fender Blues Deville. Yeah, <laughs> I believe that. He has a Proco Rat and a Source Audio Soundblocks Multi Wave Distortion. Yeah. Which they, he doesn't use hardly any. No. At, at all, like no wah, no volume pedal. Nope. Here's the crazy thing, right? So I didn't know this. Um, the second album, uh, which is Prolonging the Magic, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Well, it's actually their third album. So 
they did one they did one album that was not um widely released yep uh and that's called uh motorcade of generosity i believe is the name of the record mm-hmm. um or is it comanche it has the single comanche on i know that um looking to see i want to find uh all their albums okay here we go so the first record would have been uh motorcade of generosity i guess um yeah so comanche was on that record and i didn't i didn't think a whole lot of that one um it was comfort eagle and not comfort eagle um it was uh prolonging the magic was the one that i just like yeah lost it over but before that they did uh fashion nugget and that's the one that everybody remembers i will survive the cover that they did yeah the distance is on there um daria that was Greg Brown was the guitar player on that record. Yep. Um, and one of those songs was actually written by Willie Nelson. Really? Yeah, said songs in Walton. Oh, okay. Um, so then I got I the next one I think was uh Prolonging the Magic. Satan is my motor. Yeah. Uh, never there. Uh Sheep Go yep. to Heaven. Um Yeah. That- <laughs> but here's the crazy thing that I didn't know, and this is why I wanted to talk about this record specifically. Jim Campolongo played a lot of the guitar on that record. They hired him as a session player. Yeah. And he is a Telecaster monster. And like, you would never think he would be playing on a cake record, but he basically says, that's what pays my bills. I did that record. And he's like, that's been paying my bills for a number of years. Oh yeah. So, well, think about how many, he did an interview with, um, gold recently. And if you haven't heard it, you should check it out. But he talks about doing this record. Um, and I was like, I, I heard it and I went, what? I'm like, now it all makes sense. Cause I love Jim Campolongo. I'm like, now I know why I like that record so much. It's because his guitar playing made the record. Mm-hmm. So, and he's on, he said like, he thinks he's on, on almost every track on that record. So just overdubs and little stuff here and there. Yeah. So, um, it's like Tim Pierce. I didn't know he played on, um, Bon Jovi's records. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, a lot of bands do that stuff where they hire somebody to come in and do like overdub. Yeah. Um, even today. So I wasn't shocked so much as I was like surprised to see that Jim Campolongo did it. Yeah. And I didn't even know he was like a name at that point in the session scene. So kind of surprising. He's not so Jim, to give you an idea, you know, when people say Telecaster Ninja, everybody picks like the Helicasters or something like that, right? Yeah. Jim Campbellongo is a New York jazz guy that plays Telecaster. And yeah, crazy, right? Yeah, he's like a whole other thing. That's why I think they wanted him because he could do like some of the telly kind of madness, yeah. but he was more grounded in conventional like um, New York style stuff. So I would, if you haven't listened to him, check him out for sure. Oh, definitely. Anyway. We are approaching our two-hour mark. I think it's All right. time to end this and okay. taunt our listeners with those wonderful pickups that I will have packed onto the beginning of this episode, the rules for the giveaway. And uh, hopefully we will be giving those away soon. Hopefully. Uh, you hopefully. will have heard that in the beginning. If you did not, I would recommend that you go back and you listen to the intro song followed by the bumper, which will have all the details. And uh, yeah, so if you if you haven't, you can join the Facebook group. We always have that stuff in there somewhere. Um, if you can't find it, just post. We'll give it to you. Um, and then um, 
there was something else I wanted to say. Oh, Jim and I have been doing a lot of video content lately. Uh, if you haven't watched it, find us on YouTube, Practical Guitarist uh, channel on YouTube. And we have dozens of videos in there at this point. Um, and we will have dozens more uh, going forward. So just wanted to remind people that we have that. And of course, we talked about the shirts last week. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna um, pour myself a little bit here on that. Uh, I made shirts. They're available. You can buy them. Find details in the Practical Guitarist Facebook group. You can't see it, but I'm wearing one. Yeah, Jim's wearing one right now. It looks it looks swell, Jim. It looks it swell. It does look swell. It does look swell. And yeah. it doesn't say practical guitarist on it, people. Yeah, actually it does. Somewhere. It does? It says it on the guitar pick. It says it on the pedal. It says it oh, on Oh, that's the, right. Yeah. It, it actually it. says it on the headstock for the guitar. You just can't see it. Yeah, because it's too. It says practical. Yeah. The practical uh, guitar the, pedal. The, the amp pedal. is also practical. So yeah, this is pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's incognito. I don't think anybody will know that you're like promoting our show, right? And which means you, that you can. If you're you, so heartless that you don't want to promote our show, you heartless people. Sound off the group. Tell us. <laughs> right. Tell us. Hey, I don't want to promote your freaking show. I just want to wear a t-shirt that looks cool. Well, you can do that too because this t-shirt. I knew it was here, and I forgot that it was on the pick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, everybody. Uh, I have been David. I've been Jim. And today we have been practical guitarists. That's right.